And now, proper propaganda. Pull my mic back, you like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. Well, if you're just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. This is Civic Cypher. Yes, indeed. Stick around. We still got a lot more to talk about, including racism in sports. It's not just in the parades these days. Um, and we're also going to spend a little time talking about Jim Crow for our way black history fact as well. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff to talk about. I, I, I wish I had more time because there's more there, but just the way the show goes. Uh, um, yes, everything requires a little bit of nuance, but trying to give a little grace. But for now, let's discuss how to become a better ally. Baba. Um, so this one comes from The Hill. Uh, 988 is officially live. All right. So with last week's official launch of 988, the number to contact the National Suicide Prevention Line, individuals seeking help for suicide prevention or mental health crisis will quickly be connected to a trained crisis counselor who can provide support over the phone and dispatch a mobile response unit if necessary, to take that person to a place where they can get more help. 988 is the product of the National Suicide Hotline Designation Act of 2020, a federal law aimed at creating an easy-to-remember, easy-to-access pathway to mental health care when people need it most. Essentially, it is designed to function as the equivalent to the 911 emergency number, but for mental health emergencies rather than medical ones. So... The reason Maggie put this one in the script for us today is because there are a lot of instances that we talk about on this show, and we've seen her heart break over and over again. Our hearts break all, all the time, almost every week. And a lot of those stories have to do with people being overwhelmed by the realities, and they don't know how to process that, and mentally they just are at their wits end and you never know how you're going to behave until you get there. And we see people having mental crises, mental breakdowns, etc. And what happens is we call the police and the police often lack the training. And sometimes those incidents turn fatal when they don't need to. So now there's a new number that you can call for a mental health episode rather than calling 911. Again, that number is 988 and it is here to stay nationally. Moving on. Sports. Oof. All right. How you want to do this one, Q? <laughs> you want to take this one? <laughs> you tell us what happened. I'll yeah. give my take. We'll do it like we always do. All right, let's do it. <laughs> All right, so this one comes from sportsillustrated.com. Um, it's about LeBron James. It's about racist fans in sports or it's it's from lebron james from lebron james and if it was just an isolated incident we wouldn't make a big deal out of it but we have several documented examples and of course once we start to read them several this, thousand documented this, this will make examples. sense this will be real in your world too you'll be like oh yeah i kind of know what they're talking about all right okay um, this comes from lebron james's quote that i'm going to read. quote because they racist as f that's why they will say anything and it's fine i mean f it's my wife she's been dealing with them her whole life i don't mind it i hear it i hear someone close by 
I check them real quick. I move on to the game, whatever the F what, or whatever the F they're going to say, whatever the F they want to say, they might throw something. I got a beer thrown on me leaving a game. So this is LeBron James talking about uh, playing in Boston, Massachusetts. And when we were trying to figure out how to approach this topic for today's show, I talked to some other sports people. I've been to Boston. It was pretty cool, but I never been to a game in Boston, you know? And Maggie, you're from there, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as it turns out, this is, this checks out. Unfortunately, it does. Okay. All right. I'll continue. LeBron then asserted that the Celtics sold apparel that was intentionally disparaging towards him. There was like a FLBJ t-shirt. I believe they probably sold it at the effing team shop. They sold it at the team shop. I'm like, the Celtics, the Celtics had something to do with that stuff. Safe to say, if LeBron does ever leave the Lakers, he's definitely not taking a free agent meeting with the Boston Celtics. Okay. Before we move on to some of the other stories here, Q. Make this live a little bit for us. Easy. There has been this... uh, long living narrative Mm -hmm. uh, in in this country. Unfortunately, the torch for this narrative is carried far too often by people who look like Ramses and I. Uh, Ramses has heard me get annoyed, frustrated, and angry with uh, one of our colleagues in media. Uh, And I will say his name, a gentleman by the name of Jason Whitlock. Who believes that with success, black people grow out of racism? If you got a Benz and some money, what are you talking about? Racist how? How how is this a racist country for you? Right? In his mind, it doesn't stop existing altogether, but for you it does, Ramses. You got a diamond watch on. You right. America can't be racist to you. You're on the radio in 30 cities and counting. What are you? What other country, as our listener who wrote our letter, would allow you to do such a thing? Definitely not a racist one. Uh, There is something about the idea that you can achieve your way beyond the racist ideals of a racist, bigoted society. As if those beliefs are based on our lack of ability to achieve. They're not... (laughs) Racist people aren't racist towards us because we are underachievers. Our history of invention, our history of athletic achievement, our history of ingenuity, our history of overcoming, our history of thriving is very, very well documented. Mm -hmm. There are movies and television shows and they gave us Black History Month where they spend a lot of time reminding this country of the excellent things that we've done and continue to do. 
from movies to sports to entertainment, the people at the top of all of those lists look like us. That has nothing to do with it. And unfortunately, in these spaces, when you're home, there are thousands of people cheering your names. Large portions of those people look nothing like you. So it's very, very easy to forget where you are. It only takes for you to be a visitor in places like Salt Lake City, Utah. And we'll talk about that. And Boston, Massachusetts, just to name a couple. For those people to not just remind you that you don't play for their home team, but that they are on a different team than you all together. It has nothing to do with the color of the jersey on your back, but the melanin in the skin that you walk around and live in every day. There is no level of achievement that you can reach that will make the racist look at you and say, oh, my bad. I was tripping. He speaks so well. He runs so fast. His voice is so angelic. No. You can still be all of those things. And still be looked at with the same eye. And there was a, a film I think Regina King directed. Uh, it's called One Night in Miami. Okay. Based on a true story. The 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 movie is not delivered as fact, but it, it pulls from actual events mm -hmm. with the actual people in the movie. Okay. Some of the most famous black people in history, Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown. And there's a scene in that movie that stands out to me, right? Okay. This, I think this is 1960s United States, okay. right? You mentioned Jim Crow, which we're going to talk about later, but this is, this is America, right? Mm -hmm. Jim Brown at the time might be the fourth most famous person on earth, not just black. And there is a scene where he goes back to Georgia, where he's from and goes to visit a family that his family has ties to. Mm -hmm. He is greeted very, very affectionately by the lady of the house. I think she's the daughter of the homeowner and then the homeowner himself, who is thrilled to see Jim. Mm -hmm. She brings them some lemonade to drink outside. They sit, they talk, they catch up. And this man is just letting Jim know how very proud of him he is. And you can see a sense of self-pride and self-efficacy in Jim as he receives this admiration and adoration from his family friend mm -hmm. who's so proud of all of his accomplishments. The daughter at one point needs help with something in the house and it's something physical. She needs a man to help her. Mm -hmm. Jim, as naturally inclined, jumps up to help as well <laughs> but is told by the homeowner no 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 n words are not allowed in our house and he says it to him with no hesitation and a smile on his face as if he's not even aware that he just said something offensive it's just the way things were at the time mm -hmm. <laughs> some things change some things remain the same Jim Brown, one of the most accomplished and famous people in the history of our country, who also just so happens to be black, is reminded in an instant by somebody who presents themselves as someone who cares about him. You can't come in my house, Jim. Like, as if to, as if to say, what were, you, what were you thinking, Jim? You can't come in my house. <laughs> I know I said all those great things about you 10 seconds ago, but you're still an N-word. 
this is the country that we lived in then. Unfortunately, and though they be the minority, the powers that be in the country that we live in now are from that same school of thought. And because white supremacy and racism ultimately go unchecked, I mean, somebody can make you out to be a bad person, but there's no actual penalty for being a racist bigot, Mm -hmm. except people in the public looking at you kind of funny. You know, some people, some people for and some people only in the public looking at you kind of funny. They might send you a message earlier like, yeah, you told him. But nobody wants to appear to be racist in front of others. Mm. Right. Racist people get offended by being called racist while being racist. (laughs) Right. They're offended by the idea. How dare you refer to me as that? But I'm going to continue to act in direct alignment with the definition of racism in front of everyone out loud on camera. Right. So your hopefulness. And I I smile and kind of laugh at it as a bit of naivete. But it reminds me of a truth that is easy to ignore because it doesn't live in front of us. Mm -hmm. I do believe more people in this country feel like you. I believe that that's true. Unfortunately, the people that feel the opposite still make our laws, still run our courts, and still govern our cities. And as long as that's true, I don't care how hopeful you guys are. Our reality remains the same. So I don't get to smile and cheer and be as bubbly about the ideals of the things that we think should be true because the things that are true still suck. I'm sorry for saying it so plainly. That's okay. Let Let me jump in right here. One thing that I do want to say is that I can't change who I am. And I believe tomorrow is going to be better than than today, right? So I need people who are dealing with today in a measured way, in a practical way that are based in reality right now. Because to me, that means balance. There's... There's, you know, obviously being stuck in the past is not going to help. We need an eye on the past. We need an eye on the future. We need an eye on the present. My tendency is to be optimistic about the future. So I want to say that. Another thing I want to say is when you were talking earlier, that very much reminded me of a, a, a quote, I believe to be true. You can, you can verify because again, you're more sports dude over there, <laughs> but uh, there was a quote. Jay-Z said it on a song later, but I heard it but long before then. Um, O.J. Simpson, once upon a time, said, I'm not black, I'm O.J. This is when he was still the juice doing sports stuff, you know what I mean? And uh, the irony of that is that later in life, he was real black. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, everybody was, he had to like kind of lean on it, you know, with the Johnny Cochran's and the borrowing money from with Michael Jackson, you know, like he had to go back up that black street. You know what I mean? So conveniently, of course, I think that, um, yeah, exactly. But I think that there's, there's obviously something to be said there. Um, one of the things that, uh, I will do. You know, we talked about this in the first half of the episode. Uh, the episode. 
when I see an incident, it's an incident. It can be sad. It can be happy. It's an incident. But when I see a pattern or where there's data or there's, you know, things that, you know, we're dealing with stuff that is national, generational in, in its scope. When it's those things that we need to call attention to, when I see them laid out that way, or I, I'm able to put them together in that way, it's a lot easier to kind of nail that stuff to the wall and address it and say, look, there's a problem you may not know about. For this, you and I both have talked about how, you know, this is not an American thing that I'm going to discuss here, but one thing that's still very hurtful, you know, when they play soccer uh, or football around the world, how sometimes when the melanated players do, do well or get the ball and kick it around or whatever they're doing, that people will throw bananas, banana peels onto the soccer field um, as if to say that black people are lower life forms or monkeys or apes or whatever. And um, so there's that. Then we have a very rich history of, you mentioned some of the names, Muhammad Ali being um, one that I I love Muhammad Ali. I, I, I'm not into boxing. I'm not a violent person. I'm just not into that sort of stuff. Um, but he got my respect when he said, you can't put my Hollywood star on the ground. You have to put it on the wall because I bear the name of our prophet Muhammad and people cannot trample on that name. And they listen to him and they put it on the wall. He got my respect for that, you know? So I like kind of got into him and did a little homework and that guy stood for some stuff and he went through some stuff. Right. And then there's other people, obviously, you know, Colin Kaepernick being a more recent one, people that have kind of used their uh, proficiency and their position uh, within the, the world of athletics and sports. I think that's the right word. Um, you know, not, you know, the Olympics, you remember, um, you know, the Black Fist and the uh, Olympics in the 40s. And, you know, there's, there's a lot more instances of racist behavior and people re reacting to racist behavior. So LeBron James, with this most recent reaction, is obviously something that we, we definitely wanted to highlight. Um, but the thing is, again, if that was the only story, that would be that. We probably wouldn't be talking about it. I want to share another story briefly. Um, this one's a little older, but I think it helps paint this picture a little bit better. Um, this one's from 2008. Just a line. This comes from bleacherreport.com. It says, last year during the Golden State Series, uh, fans apparently shouted racist comments at African-American players on the Warriors. Um, talking about the difference between playing at home compared to on the road during the series against the Jazz, Warriors, for, Warriors forward Stephen Jackson said, and here's his quote, well, we're not hearing racial slurs. We're not hearing people wish for me to go to jail. That's the difference for me. I'm loved here in Oakland, right? So I think that kind of speaks to your point. Now, if it was just those two stories, one from 2008, one from last week, that'd be that. But 
the thing is, I saw a pattern with Utah, and as you mentioned, in Boston. So, you know, maybe there's a little bit of cultural difference there, but it's certainly something that we need to talk about because this is, at least to me, the one space where you would, wouldn't expect to see that sort of thing. You know, these people come together to put on a performance and your team either wins or your team loses, but you're going there for the show. Right. You cheer for your team, I'm sure, whatever. But you recognize that these are all top a- athletes and some have good days and some have bad days. This is my assumption, you know, and for you to respect these athletes and want to go see a good game. You know, everyone loves a close game, but no one loves to lose. Right. You can't have it both ways. Right. At least not for a long time. All of a sudden you go to racism. It's a real thing. I want to read one more story here. This one's from ESPN.com, May 2021. So this is last year. Ja Morant. I like that name, Ja. My man. Ja Morant's dad says three banned jazz fans made lewd racist comments during game two in Utah. Uh, Quote, I know heckling. T. Morant said in a phone interview with ESPN on Thursday night, quote, we're doing that whole game but that's different than heckling. That's straight up disrespectful. That was too far out of line. You don't say nothing like that heckling. That's beyond heckling. Uh, John Morant, in a tweet posted later, agreed with Utah's decision to ban fans, writing, quote, my family should be able to cheer for me and my teammates without getting inappropriate stuff said to them. Right? So if I'm able to say something good, positive um my understanding is that the nba and the individual organizations uh do not tolerate that this wasn't about the nba's failures or you know the players or you know whatever this is about how ramses basically if we're being honest how ramses managed to find racism uh, like a whole pattern of it in a place where i never expected to see it and I feel comfortable talking about it because I have someone who knows a little bit about sports. Mexico City, October 1968. Um, John Carlos and Tommy Smith raised their fist mm-hmm. yeah, in black leather gloves mm-hmm. uh, as a black power salute, mm-hmm. uh, as a moment of protest during the Olympic Games that year. Um, I'm never shocked at the presence of racism. Um, more so in the spaces where we're meant to entertain. I think we look at sports uh, as competition, forgetting that all of it is a TV show. Sports, music, movies, we can reach the top of those fields of entertainment. Mm -hmm. Right? Remember the court gesture. Remember Sambo. Remember, I mean, we've entertained in all of these spaces since slavery. Mm-hmm. Shout out Bojangles. We could entertain them even then. Mm-hmm. And during the show, they would clap and applaud and celebrate. But you're still, you know, still know your place. I won't even say every word that I wanted to put at the end of that <laughs> sentence right now because <laughs> several popped into my head, but you know, know your place. Yeah. You know, I paid your salary. I paid for this ticket. In some ways, I mean, they call the team CEOs or sole proprietors owners. 
that might be the appropriate term, but it's so inappropriate. I see your point. Well, um, LeBron James talked about it. We talked about it. And hopefully now if you are at a game and you hear something, you will engage and we need to stomp out that behavior wherever we see it, not just in our own lives, but wherever we see it. Moving on. It's time for the Way Black History Fact. Uh, this week, we are discussing Jim Crow laws. Funnily enough, I don't believe we've touched on Jim Crow laws yet. I mean, we've touched on it, but we haven't done a full-on Way Black History Fact. So uh, this comes from history.com. Uh, so I'll start. Jim Crow laws were a collection of state and local statutes that legalized racial segregation. Named after a black minstrel show character, the laws, which existed for about 100 years from the post-Civil War era until 1968, that's almost the 70s, man, were meant to marginalize African-Americans by denying them the right to vote, hold jobs, get an education, or other opportunities. Those who attempted to defy Jim Crow laws often faced arrest, fines, jail sentences, violence, and death. Hmm. Um, we're, we might get to it, but I just want to say, because while we're talking about uh, voting and the disenfranchisement of voting, this is why we've talked about at length on this show, uh, redlining. We've talked about voter suppression initiatives. Every time Dr. Westenberg comes up here and talks on the show, she's always talking about voter suppression and how important our votes are um, and how she came from a time and, you know, she's related to people, you know, her uh, mother and father and grandmother and grandfather could not vote because they couldn't pass tests that says um, how many bubbles are in a bar of soap. They were only given to black people and white people get tests that say how much is one plus one, you know, this sort of thing. So it was, she probably couldn't vote at times for reasons far less than that, just because she couldn't. Right. right. I don't think Dr. Westenberg and my mom are too far apart in age and when my mother became of voting age it was still illegal for a black woman to vote. yeah you told me that and george you said that on the show yeah, i remember so you saying that okay this is there was no test you just couldn't mm. I'll, I'll continue um black codes the roots of jim crow laws began as early as 1865 immediately following the ratification of the 13th amendment which abolished slavery in the united states black codes were strict local and state laws that detailed when, where, and how formerly enslaved people could work and for how much compensation. Hmm. The codes appeared throughout the South as a legal way to put black citizens into indentured servitude, to take voting rights away, to control where they lived and how they traveled, and to seize children for labor purposes. The legal system was stacked against black citizens with former uh, Confederate soldiers working as police and judges, making it difficult for African-Americans to win court cases and ensuring they were subject to black codes. These codes worked in conjunction with labor camps for the incarcerated, where prisoners were treated as enslaved people. Black offenders typically received longer sentences than their white equals, and because of the grueling work, often did not live out their entire sentence. It's very uh, unsettling. All right, we're going to talk about the Ku Klux Klan. So hmm. during the Reconstruction era, 
local governments, as well as the National Democratic Party and President Andrew Johnson thwarted efforts to help black Americans move forward. Reconstruction era, for those that don't know, is the era in this country that immediately followed the Civil War because the country was in bad shape because we were fighting ourselves and it was expensive and everybody died. Right. Violence was on the rise, making danger a regular aspect of African-American life. Black schools were vandalized and destroyed, and bands of violent white people attacked, tortured, and lynched black citizens in the night. Families were attacked and forced off their land all across the South. The most ruthless, the most ruthless, sorry, the most ruthless organization of the Jim Crow era, the Ku Klux Klan, was born in 1865 in Pulaski, Tennessee, as a private club for Confederate veterans. The KKK grew into a secret society terrorizing black communities and seeping through white Southern culture with members at the highest levels of government and the lowest echelons of criminal back alleys. All right. Uh, at the start of the 1880s, big cities in the South were not wholly beholden to Jim Crow laws and black Americans found more freedom in them. Um, This led to substantial black populations moving to the cities, and as the decade progressed, white city dwellers demanded more laws to limit opportunities for African Americans. Jim Crow laws soon spread <laughs> around the country with even more force than previous previously. Public parks were forbidden for African Americans to enter, and theaters and restaurants were segregated. Segregated waiting rooms in bus and train stations were required as well as waiter, sorry, as water fountains, restrooms, building entrances, elevators, cemeteries, even amusement park cashier windows. Another thing Dr. Westenberg mentioned on the show that I felt was super strange is that she was not able to try on shoes when they went to the store because she was black. And as a result of that, her feet were because of the melanin. You know, and they just would not let black people try on shoes. They could not go into restrooms, so they had to carry a portable bathroom as they traveled. Isn't that crazy? That's a real person that we both know. No, it's not crazy. I live here. <laughs> I, like it's not it's not crazy at all. All right, I'll I'll finish up. Laws forbade African Americans from living in white neighborhoods. Segregation was enforced for public pools, of course. Phone booths, hospitals, asylums, jails, and residential homes for the elderly and handicapped. Some states required separate textbooks for black and white students. New Orleans mandated the segregation of prostitutes according to race. In Atlanta, African-Americans in court were given a different Bible from white people to swear on. Marriage and cohabitation between white and black people was strictly forbidden in most southern states. It was not uncommon to see signs posted at town and city limits warning African-Americans that they were not welcome there. Um, and if you would like to read more on Jim Crow laws and exactly what that was like and how those very much shaped the laws that we have in place now, it's all there. History.com. That's not Ramses.com, by the way. Go ahead, Q. Let me reiterate that she had to experience that, of course, is crazy. Learning about it isn't at all. This gotcha. is America. Gotcha. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, uh, some of this stuff is mind-blowing because as much as I think I know about it, um, I always find something new, you know, because we all hear about the water fountains, but you never hear about hospitals and 
you know, like the Dr. hotels. Dr. Yeah, the Dr. Westenberg thing. She talked about the shoes, trying on shoes. It's such an odd thing to think of. But in any event, that's going to do it for us here today on Civic Cipher. Once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. Forever, Ramses Ja and Q Ward. Yes, and together, this is Civic Cipher. Yes, indeed. Uh, show produced by our producer, Ms. Maggie, aka Maggie B. Known. Um, and subscribe to our podcast. Uh, subscribe yeah love like comment share share please um and donate our cash app is at civic cypher hit the website civiccypher.com hit us with your questions topics um follow us on all social media at civic cypher engage with us talk to us maggie told me to tell y'all just that be a better ally share like subscribe i'm saying it again we can only grow if you guys do that and we're gonna keep growing all right so with that said, uh, thanks for listening. And until next week, y'all. Peace. Hey, yo, we handle it. These brothers are fabulous. Dilated, showing you where rhyme travel is. Worlds is between from sunlight to moon. Busting off stage like gunfights and moons. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists, too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. With press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. Love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander. Here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question that ask it. The news is just a TV show. Get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, like this, like this, like this. We kick finance.